0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Preparing the Way. We're doing a series right now called Nobody Ever Told Me That, and it's a series that's looking at some foundational truths that for many Christians, they go for years and years in their lives without knowing. For example, have you ever heard a testimony that goes a bit like this? I got saved 30 years ago. I got baptized in water 15 years ago. I got filled with the Holy Spirit just last year. And you say to someone who, with a testimony like that, why did it take 30 years for you to be filled with the Holy Ghost? And invariably the reply will be, because nobody ever told me. I have found that there are some basic scriptural truths that I think the devil wants to hide from God's people. And that's what this series is about. Scripture says this, for lack of knowledge, God's people perish. Knowledge. And I wouldn't have thought that. It means that there are key pieces of knowledge in the Bible that if I don't have them, my life can perish. That means to wither away. Welcome once again to Preparing the Way. Through this series, nobody ever told me that, we're going to look at healing, prosperity, deliverance, salvation, and keys for your life. So please stay with us. You can go to our website. The address is on the screen there. You can find many other teaching series there also. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's program. God bless you. Things in life, many things in our relationship with God that are dependent upon your behavior, okay? There's enjoying your relationship with God. There's the great blessings of God, etc., etc., etc. And everything in your life will go wrong, seriously wrong, if your behavior is wrong. However, the statement still stands. Your behavior doesn't actually affect the love of God towards you. For God so loved the world that He gave the life of His only begotten Son. Paul puts it like this. He says, nothing will separate you from the love of God. Nothing. 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 can separate us from the love of God. In another place, he says, remember... It was whilst you were a sinner that Christ died for you. Remember that? And when I was looking around the church yesterday at everybody being so good, so busy, working so hard, you know, it was such a joy to see, it really was. And it must have brought delight to God's heart. But you know what? You guys are fantastic. The work in this church is just excellent. But you know what? Before you did anything, God loved you before you had ever done a thing in your whole life. God loved you. You see, God's love for you, God's love for me, is not dependent upon my good deeds. It's not dependent upon my good behavior. It's not even dependent upon my good looks. Oh no, sorry. (laughs) It is not dependent on anything, praise God. And I tell you what, you know, this point is the source of pain to far too many believers. God's love for them. It must be a source of pain to God's heart because I deal with people. I deal with Christians all day, every day, okay? And I can tell you, friends, you know, believe me, it is an enormous source of pain to Christians, especially when they sin. When Christians sin and they fall, right? They so often believe that the love of God for them has somehow diminished. that's not true. But of course it has. Look what I just did. Look what I just said. God can't love me like He did. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Far too many believers, far too many, They slip, they fall, they sin, and all of a sudden they think that's it. Well, how fickle is your God then? Huh? How strong is the love that you believe in? Is it that weak? And then, of course, what Christians do is they turn to good deeds to try and build some sort of a pathway back to God. They turn to good behavior to try and build a pathway back to God, and you cannot do that. Remember, the Bible has a lot to say about that point. Maybe nobody ever told you that. Maybe nobody ever told you that if you get it wrong, and you sin, and you try to get your relationship right again through good works, you're on a dodgy road. It's not the road of faith. It becomes very quickly a religious road. And it's a dangerous road, a deceptive road. God's love for you is not dependent upon your good behavior. Let me ask the parents here, the mums and the dads, do you love your children? But you only love them when they're good, right? You love your child, whether your child is good or bad. Now, when your child is bad, you might withhold privileges. You might discipline them, you might do this, that and the other. When your child is bad, often they're not happy. You're not happy. But does it affect your love for them? No, that's a completely different thing. We buried a friend of ours. He was a heroin addict, and we had gone through cold turkeys with him for seven days and nights, you know, three times to try and get him off heroin in our church in Dublin. His father was a very wealthy man. His father used to ring up and say, oh, how's it going? And he hadn't spoken to his dad for ages. Couldn't go home, and relationship between father and son, it was very sad, heartbreaking. One day he was found dead. The guy was found dead on the street. And we did the funeral. And I remember standing by the graveside. And this was a father who had not spoken to his son for some time. And down goes the box. And all of a sudden the father started to cry. And then he started to shout. Why? 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 You see, he didn't like his son's behavior, and all his privileges were withdrawn, and the son was put out of the house, and on and on it goes. But ultimately, the father loved his son, and so it is with God. We accuse God of some terrible things. We accuse God of loving us less than we love our own children, right? (laughs) Because we think he he doesn't love us now. And yet we love our children whether they're good or bad and we point the finger at God and think in some way His love is less than yours or mine? I don't think so. His love is vast, eternal. And all I'm saying, friends, is that it's the truth that too many Christians spend a vast amount of precious energy trying to get right with the God they're right with Trying to earn the favor of a God who wants to lavish his favor on you because we misunderstand these things. There's a a weakness in two areas as I see it. Firstly, an understanding of the nature of this God who has saved you. This God who sent his only son to die on a cross for you. There's a misunderstanding about his nature. And secondly, there's a serious misunderstanding about our position in Christ, about the solidity of that, the firmness of that. I worked in social services for about 10 years and one day I did something bad. I was very wrong and I was very sorry. I had upset one of my colleagues and I felt really guilty about it. I went into work. And I went over to the person, and I said, excuse me, I was wrong, and I want to apologize for what I did. Will you forgive me? They said, yes, okay. Ah, praise God. Okay. So the day goes on, and I'm sitting at my desk, and it's individuals walking around the office, but I'm not, I'm self-condemned. My head is still down, I'm still sad, and I can't somehow get over it. And at a certain point in the day, my colleague walked over, tapped me on the shoulder, and said this, Michael, it doesn't do to dwell on things. And I was free. I was free. I was surprised I'm free. Because I realized that when that person said, I forgive you, it wasn't just a throwaway word. It was something they meant it. You meant it. You really want to forgive me, don't you? You want to set me free. You don't want me to walk around with a burden, right? And the nature. You see, the nature of the person freed me. You need to know the nature of your God. You need to know what God is like. That He is a good God. See, sin damages us, friends. When you do wrong, do you know what it does? It changes your mind. You know what the word repentance means? It means to... Change your mind. Well, do you know what sin does? It changes your mind. When we're walking in the Holy Ghost, we're walking in the Holy Spirit, we have a spiritual mind, right? Paul talks a lot about it. But as soon as you sin, you're no longer in a spiritual mind. It's just like a light switch. Boom. You're carnal. Just like that. So quick. Sin changes your mind. And if we're not prepared for that or know how to deal with it, it will get you. Now, listen, God is big enough to deal with your sin. Okay? God is well big enough to handle your sin child. He can do that. The problem is with us. The problem is often with self-condemnation. And the battle is not up there. The battle is down here. Jesus went a long way to try and tell us about this problem. So all through the New Testament, actually. One of the central parables he told, and one of the most beautiful, the story of the prodigal son. Everybody knows it. And the prodigal son is a fantastic story. It's multifaceted, and you can just draw on it all of your life. Listen to the story. There was a son who was loved by his father in his home. As he grew up, he still loved. Freely, freely loved. But then the boy began to plot to leave home. But he was still left. And then the boy actually, the day came when the boy was going to leave home. And he still left. And then the boy ends up in a pigsty. And he still left. Ah, but the boy came back, right? And he still left. And if you follow what Jesus is trying to tell us, He's trying to show you something. See? See the difference between the Father and the Son? The Father never changed. The Father always loved the Son. Whether He was at home or whether He was in the pigsty. He's still my Son. And I still love Him. But the Son changed, All right, didn't He? The Son changed His mind. Sin changed the Son's mind. And he started to say crazy things like, I'll go and hire myself out to my father. I'll go and become like one of the hired men. And you can imagine the father, what's this talk coming from you son? Shh, come in. Sin had certainly changed his mind and caused him to approach that open relationship that God had wanted him back into in a completely wrong perspective. When I was over in Singapore, stayed there for six months one time in 1997 and at that time there was a mass murderer in Malaysia. A man killed 48 women and drank their blood, sorry but he did. He thought it was going to give him eternal life and they caught him and he was held up you know and there was a big to do about it, it was all over the television. And I remember the day when they brought the man to the courthouse and he was going to be sentenced to death and hung or whatever. And outside, you can imagine 48 people, right? That's 48 families. You can imagine the crowd. There was a huge crowd outside the courthouse and they were baying for his blood. They wanted him dead now. And what happened? I saw the scene. I thought, goodness me, it's bad. And in the midst of that chaos, a car pulled up. And the crowd goes silent. And the police open the back door of the car. And out steps a little old lady. And the crowd parts. And she walks to the court. Who is she? Who on earth was that? The man's mother. And you know, as the hush fell on the crowd, they looked, and the mother wasn't trying to justify her son. She's not trying to say, let him go. None of that. All she's saying is, no matter what he's done, he's still my son. You justice, let justice be served, but he's still my son. And the crowd understood it. And I hope you do too. God has fathered you. You have the Holy Ghost within you, part of God Himself living in you. You You're born again, I trust. You know what the tragedy is about sin today, the current tragedy? The current tragedy of sin is not the cross. That's a past tragedy. That's the tragedy of all tragedies, but it's past. Jesus is not on the cross now, right? He's resurrected, He's glorified. He's seated in heaven governing this planet, right? The tragedy is not today, the current tragedy of sin it's not the cross. Do you know what it is? It's you. It's you and I. It's what sin robs us off in our relationship with God. That's the tragedy. Look at it from God's perspective. He's not going back to the cross. He's done that. It's a done deal. It's over. Now his hope is in his children. Now is, He's looking unto you to be all that you can be. All that He's made you to be. All that He's paid for. And suffered for. And how frustrating it must be when you see your children so messed up in their minds and in their perspective of you. What do you think I'm like? What sort of father do you think I am? God is a good God. And I hope you take that and remember it. The first thing that we have is a problem with the very nature of this loving God we serve. Now I don't know what more do we want for him to explain it? What more do we want? That's enough. He's given his son and therefore we know that he's utterly committed to us. The problem is not with God, the problem is with us. The second thing we need to know about is to understand the great security of your position as a believer. You know, salvation is described as a rock. And God speaks of the great plan He has for those He saved. Those He called, He justified, those He justified, He sanctified, and on and on He goes. He talks about a plan that He has for your life and mine. And we need to get into that plan. One of the things that happens us when we're born again is that God takes of His righteousness. And puts it in you, right? God is a righteous God. What that means is He does right all the time. It's as simple as that. He's a moral being. That's what He is. In essence, God is, is morality, right? And He takes off His righteous Holy Spirit and He places that in us. And therefore, we know all the more right from wrong, right? Right? we become as born-again believers hopefully very, very sensitive not just in conscience but the Holy Ghost convicting us. But you know what the problem is? This righteous spirit that lives in me and lives in you will always be telling me what to do right. Don't do that, do this. Don't do this, do that. Now the problem I've got and the problem you've got is you're not just a spirit. You've also got a soul. You've also got a body. And sometimes that body silences the spirit. Sometimes your soul takes mass. Shh, shh God, shh, quiet. And sometimes you sin. And when you do, what happens in your mind is you no longer see yourself as a saint. You see yourself as a sinner. And all of a sudden, it's not quite so sweet. And some fellowship breaks off. It's, once again, it's a mind change. It can be almost like an optical illusion sometimes. The way our mind shows us our relationship with God. The scriptures are very clear. God is immensely interested and passionate about you knowing these things. Knowing that you are loved. Knowing that you are accepted. Knowing that you are fathered, covered. God cares, you know, so much about this. In fact, There are 348 references in scripture to your walk of faith, but there are 540, nearly twice as many, where God tells you that the righteousness of God is in you. Nearly double. Do you get the point? What God is saying is, I've given you a new identity. I am now your father, a good father, and I want you to live out of that identity right? Search me and find me and become all that I have made you to be. How do you think of yourself? Saint or sinner? Or is it a bit of both? We need to get a very clear perspective of who our Father is and a very clear perspective of who we are. We are the righteousness of Christ. That's what God says. His Holy Ghost lives in you. And you start to see yourself in Him, in Christ, start to live out of the identity that He's given you as someone who's born again, given a new start in life. This is why preaching is so important. This is why many traditional churches have gone to the dogs. Because you can't come to church every Sunday and be told that you're lower than a snake's belly. You know, you're a sinner. If you hear that, Every week, what are you going to be? Would we raise our children every day saying, you're stupid, you're stupid? What would they be? They would lose all confidence if that's all they ever hear. And so 540 times, almost twice that of faith, God calls to you and says, you are the righteousness of Christ. I have put of my spirit in you. Live out of that. Don't live out of your old mindset. Now, of course, this gets so abused in the church, and churches always go to extremes. Sad reality, but they do. And these types of understandings, they get abused and misused, and people use it as an excuse for sin, and that's not what we're about here today, but it's a fact. there, There is a balance in this, and please hear me out. The balance is this. I see Paul, I think, hit it right perfectly. Paul would say to you, Yes, I am a sinner, but, put that down a second, I am the righteousness of Christ, because He lives in me, and if I sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive me my sin as I confess it. I will confess and forsake my sin anyway, Paul would say, anyway. It was while I was still a sinner that Christ died for me anyway, right? And we need to get a very, very good grip on that. Paul longed for a righteousness that was not his own. To live out of that, he was talking about the Holy Ghost, and to live out of the identity, the DNA, the spiritual DNA that God had birthed within him, placed within him. Now the balance to that is this, and please look at me and listen, because it's a very important point, and this is where we really do balance ourselves out. There'll be many, many, many people in hell God loves them. Just because God loves you doesn't protect you from an eternal separation from Him. Any more than that, Father, when we buried His Son, could protect His Son. His Son went His own way. And He was saying, why? When I was here for you, why? Just because God loves you, it doesn't exempt you from the possibility of ending up in hell. That's where you have a part to play. We did a musical once in in Singapore. It was a big thing. It cost a quarter of a million Sing dollars. There was about 10,000 people came to it over three days, and it it was a huge thing. I I played the part of Jesus in it. It was a huge event. And one of the scenes, it was the Last Supper scene, and Judas was leaving the table, And I had to stand up and mime, because I can't sing, had to mime as Judas was leaving. Do you know what my words, what my lines were? Judas, I won't sing it. Judas, I love you, Judas. As he walks away, Judas, I love you, Judas. Judas, for God so loved the world that he gave the life of His only Son, so that whosoever would believe in Him, would have that gift of eternal life. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, absolutely true. He's still going to love you, but you still, if you, I hope you get the point, you can still take the wrong road and end up in hell. You see, do you understand then the plot of the devil? The devil has finished, in some ways, arguing with God. The devil had a big fight with God 2,000 years ago, and he lost. So it is over. It is finished for Christ. So Satan, the devil, is not so much fighting up there. Who's he fighting? He's fighting you. He's predominantly fighting in your mind. He's predominantly fighting in the way you see yourself, in the perspective of you have of yourself and largely his plan will be, his ultimate goal as he looks at you will be to get you to believe this point that God doesn't love you. And so it was his goal in the garden to break up the relationship between God and man. His ultimate goal is to to fiddle with your thinking until you're not believing that God is a God of love, until you're seeing him as a bad father. Everything that happened to Jesus in some ways can happen to us. Do you remember before they crucified Jesus? Remember the soldiers took him and they tormented him? The soldiers took him outside. The Bible says they got a blanket and they covered him with a blanket so he couldn't see. And then they started. And they started to inflict pain and punch and kick and spit. But then the important bit comes. It says that the soldiers said this. Hey, prophesy. Who did that? Who hit you? And you see the inference, the the, the goal that the soldiers had, the goal that the devil has is this. It's just like any believer. Say that's you. Right? And the devil wants to cloud you to the love of God. And everything that goes wrong in life, he says, hey, that's God. That's God that's hurting you. That's God that's inflicting the pain because God hates you. Don't you get it? And goodness knows there's enough pain in life. Goodness knows there's enough hurt. But the same, I call that the blanket of deception. The same covering, the same deception. And Jesus had to hold on underneath the pain, underneath the suffering. Jesus has to hold his ground and say, no. No. That is the devil's tormenting voice. No. And you see, when things go wrong in life, the first thing the devil will say, ah, that's God. That's God getting you back. Right? And he's on your tail to put little whispers in your ear to try and deceive you, to try and convince you that God doesn't love you. 540 times. God tries to to counterbalance that in your life by saying, yes I do, yes I do, yes I do. Praise God, thank you for watching today's program. I hope you have been blessed and edified by what you've seen and heard. Folks, you can see how important it is for the teaching of God's word to get out to the nations. I want to invite you to do something very significant for your life. And that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. You can go to our website there where you'll find a way in which you can join up with us and partner with us to take these essential teachings, essential truths out to the nations of the world. Thank you for watching and God bless you.